safer sex. Intercourse. Condoms. Sexually transmitted infection. HIV. HIV. Sexual health. Treatment. Prevention. Sexual attraction. Sexually transmitted infection. Contraceptive. Sexual health specialist. Hi and welcome back. I'm Heather, and you're listening to the Sydney Sexual Health Centre podcast, where we talk about all things related to sexual health. This episode, we're giving you a bit of an insight into the development of some of our more innovative programs targeting gay and bisexual men. We're not just going to tell you how great we are, though. We're going into some detail about how genuine partnerships with consumers and community members have led to services that meet the needs of the communities that we work with. You may have heard the term co-design before in the context of healthcare. It's a process that involves health consumers in the design of health services. The patient perspective and priorities are incorporated into every step of the process. This is something that's been done successfully a few times at Sydney Sexual Health Centre. Our partnerships with community organisations like ACON and our engagement with our own consumers has led to things like the A-Test, STI and HIV testing service for gay and bisexual men. A-Test, which you might have heard of before, is a community-based service that uses ACON's peer workers in a really effective way and it's received a lot of positive feedback from Sydney's gay community. We'll also talk about how our consumers have driven changes we've made in our own centre, like the introduction of our express clinics. We spoke to Vicky Knight, who is one of our clinical nurse consultants. Vicky has also recently completed a PhD that looked at strategies to improve sexual health service delivery with particular emphasis on gay and bisexual men. We also spoke to Sean Power, who is ACON's manager of ATEST with a long history of health promotion work with the organisation. My name's Vicky Knight and I'm a, the clinical nurse consultant, or at least one of them, um, and my role is around um, research and development, I suppose, and um, innovations in service provision. Um, I'm a, one of the nursing team. So you've recently completed a PhD that looked at ways to improve sexual health service delivery, particularly to gay and bisexual men. A big focus of your research was the innovations that have been made at Sydney Sexual Health Centre over the past few years, which we'll be talking about today. So one of the innovations that our listeners are probably most likely to be aware of is the ATEST service that we developed in collaboration with ACON. Can you tell us a little bit about this project and how it came about? Okay, so um, there's for, for many years, um, you know, prior to 2013-14, um, we've been speaking with gay men and consumers and saying, okay, what are the facilitators um, for you to have HIV testing and what are the barriers around HIV testing? And so there's this, you know, huge amount of knowledge and research out there about exactly what it is that either makes men want to test or not. So we put together all of that research and d sat around a table and tried to design a service that met those needs. It either, for example, you know, gay men don't want to answer intrusive questions every time they come to test. They would rather answer it on a piece of paper or, you know, answer it on a computer. So that was a big part of what we wanted the A-test model to be, that, that they would answer those questions on a computer. They didn't want uh, to test in a medicalised service, and we are a medical service um, within a hospital located on hospital grounds, so we needed to think innovatively about how we could better place our testing services. 
They wanted the service um, also uh, to be gay-friendly and maybe even just, you know, gay-centric, um, a place where gay men could go to test. And uh, some of the research shows that they also wanted it to be services provided by other gay men. Um, and so in that aspect, I think we were really quite innovative in that we were the first Australian service to actually use peer educators, so non-nursing, um, medical counselling staff, non-clinical staff, um, we developed up the model where, um, first of all, it was volunteers employed, or sorry, volunteers working at ACON, and then it became ACON paid staff um, who became the providers of the testing service uh, in collaboration with the clinical providers. And that's a real first. And, and, and gay men, from the feedback that we've received, is that they really, really like that. They like a service that is provided to them by people who understand them and live their lived experience. Um, uh, and the services obviously need to be um, you know, open at hours that most people would like to visit a testing service in, which you know, there's always problems with funding and there's always problems with health services in that they're only open for certain times. And so the A-Test model incorporates all of those things. It's got the computer-assisted self-interview. It's got gay men providing gay services. It's got peer educators and nurses working together to provide gay-friendly services. Um, and it's in a non-medicalised shopfront in a the, probably one of the largest gay precincts in Sydney, which is on Oxford Street in Sydney, and and it's open um, seven day, six days a week between eleven and seven. So it, it sort of can operate to most people's calendars. So ATS was originally launched as a single time limited pop up service offering only rapid HIV testing, but it's now expanded to four locations across Sydney. Mm -hmm. What makes ATS so successful? Well, I think, as I've just said, we, we, we had to start, um, before we set up A-Test, the standalone service, we needed to pilot it. We had these ideas, we were working with consumers and with our um, partners, and we needed to refine those things and make sure that they actually would work before we would put in you know, a, a major model and say that's what it's going to be. So the pop-up was a proof of concept, really, mm -hmm. and then it went to a time-limited uh, shop front, um, and now it's a full-time uh, uh, shop on Oxford Street, and as you say, it has rolled out across the state. And I, and I think the, 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 the success of it is exactly the fact that it was co-designed, co-produced with consumers and our partners and their advocates being ACON. Um, I think having them right at the beginning, planning, designing right from the outset is the reason why it's successful. Um, sometimes I think in health we consult consumers, but we consult them after we've drawn up the plans and planned the service and marketed, you know, got the branding and the logo and everything. That is not what ATS was about. It's grassroots, co-produced, and, and to me that's the reason why it's successful. Can you tell us a little bit about how that co-design process worked? Yeah, so it was about um, uh, getting together all the literature and all of the research and putting that together in an easily digestible sort of report, I suppose. Um, and then it was about um, speaking with our partners and consumers um, and literally brainstorming how this service should work. 
and each of the partners um, and consumers at the table all had a role, very predefined role. We all had the same say in what the service actually you know, became. Um, and we all went away and researched how we would actually get that to work, basically. We had regular meetings and so it was, and that is designed from paper to architects to, you know, building buildings and putting in health infrastructure. It was co-designed the whole way with consumers and partners. Um, so right from the blueprint. That's what co-design means, basically. So what would be your recommendation to people working in health who want to undertake this kind of co-design process on their own projects? Yeah, look, I would, I would say you need to learn a little bit about what co-design is because, as I said, I think sometimes uh, health services think that just consulting a consumer group is enough. That isn't actually enough. Um, the literature and the research and quality in, in healthcare shows that you need to start right from the outset. And the other thing, I went, I went to a safety and quality uh, conference in Melbourne recently and there was a, uh, a speaker from Scotland who's a very inspiring man who works in this uh, sphere. And one of the things that he said, which um, you know, I reflected on and, and had some meaning for me, was that what he said was uh, a good health service or a good team of leaders need to uh, understand that sometimes failure is part of the pathway. And so, you know, it's very easy in health to sit back and go, that won't work. Um, and, you know, or they've tried that in Scotland and it didn't work, therefore we're not going to do it. And I think you need to, you need to be actively listening to what your consumers and consumer advocate groups are saying and you need to give it a chance. And there is a chance it might not work. That's the reason why we did the pop-up and the proof of concept. And I must admit that prior to that, um, I was one of those naysayers who said, there's no way gay men are going to come to a caravan at Taylor Square and do <laughs> a point of care testing. And I was the person who was also flogged for that because it was me doing seven tests an hour for a week. So uh, that opened my eyes. I did really think that that wouldn't happen and I wasn't listening to what um, the consumers were saying when they said, no, no, they will come here. So I think have open eyes and take the blinkers off and listen to what the consumers are saying. And if it fails, go back to the drawing board and actually say, well, okay, that didn't work so well. What can we change to make it better? Another innovation that you played a role in developing is the Express Clinic at Sydney Central Health Centre. Express is designed to be quick and easy. It's an STI testing service for asymptomatic people, particularly people who need to test frequently. Can you explain what's unique about Express? Um, so back in the day when it was started, uh, there were some examples of fast track. It's given lots of different names, um, Express type testing like ours. Um, I think what's, what's different about it is that it uh, uses some of the things that I've already talked about. So it uses the computer-assisted self-interview to collect the history. Um, people are just tested. They don't have to go into anything else. It's minimal health education or health promotion unless they ask for it. Um, that's different from a sort of a medical perspective, I suppose. You often see, you know, in traditional medical uh, consultations, you know, someone collects the history by asking the questions and then provides the advice that they think you need. Um, once again, 
the consumers and um, uh, the research show, showed us that people just want to get in and out quickly for testing when they had no symptoms. They don't want to be asked a million questions. And we thought that they would test more frequently if we took away what they thought were some barriers or some parts of the consultation that they didn't like. Um, so that's why it's successful. And it's successful uh, with particularly with young people and with um, gay and bisexual men. And it also had it has an effect on the clinic in that it's a shorter consultation. So the traditional consultation length is a half an hour. The express uh, originally was 10 minutes it, and then point of care testing came in and it went to 15 minutes. So what that means is it, 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 it's effectively doubled the amount of people that can be seen, which means there's more capacity to see walk-in clients. And gay men and young people in the research tell us that they want to be seen the same day and they want to be able to walk in and get a screen if they can and not be sent away or not have to wait a week for an appointment. So for those reasons, it, it's different to the traditional model and it's been exceptionally successful. So have we seen that in the results? Are people testing more since we introduced Express? Yes, we've, we've evaluated Express and we've evaluated A-Test and um, in both of them, people are testing more frequently. Yep, um, absolutely. Uh, they're testing more frequently and um, where the clinics are also effective in picking up new HIV infections and picking up lots of sexually transmitted infections. So one of your pieces of research found that these more convenient services, so Fast Track Express Clinic and community-based A-test services, they're attracting gay and bisexual men who have not previously tested. This is obviously really important as we want to be testing everyone who needs to be tested. What is it about these services that attracts men who haven't had prior engagement with more traditional testing services? Mm. Um, I think that uh, the, the men that um, haven't tested are a particularly hard group of men to access for lots of different reasons. Um, you know, they might be stigmatised, they might not be out to their family or their community or their friends. They, the uh, HIV and STIs in their country of origin may be very stigmatised. In fact, you know, uh, in some countries you, you will be jailed. Um, so they're a complex group and they're not homogenous, so I, I can't answer for all of them. But what I do think is that uh, if you have a friendly, gay-friendly, outside of health, so therefore not seen as government-type service like A-Test, um, I think that is why men are attracted to it. The other thing is it's on a street, right, where they may walk with signage that says this versus in the hospital grounds hidden in a building somewhere, you know, where there's not much signage. Um, I do think it's about uh, people being frightened to test for lots of different reasons um, and for, for many different reasons they feel comfortable to go to a place like A-Test. Um, Express uh, certainly has picked up a higher proportion of men who haven't tested before than the routine clinic as well, um, and that just could be because of the ease of getting an appointment and, get, and getting a service, basically. Um, you know, you don't have to ring up, you can just walk in, um, you get seen and you get tested. Word of mouth might play a part of it as well, which is it's really easy to test, you just have to go there and they'll see you and you're in and out in 15 minutes. Um, yeah, I think there's lots of parts of the model that could 
uh, be responsible for that, not one part. Yeah. yeah. So we've talked a lot about what makes these programs unique in terms of their appeal to the target audience. But we also need to note that they've been really successful from a business perspective. As you touched on earlier, they've improved the efficiency of the clinic, and we're now seeing more clients with the same staff resources. Can you explain a little more about how these initiatives have improved clinic efficiency? Mm. So we started off with um, making a change to, in our reception area where we used the computer-assisted um, technology uh, to allow clients to register and um, to arrive themselves for their appointments on the computer. In the old system, what, what was happening was the patient filled in a paper form and then one of the reception staff had to data enter it into the system and um, you know that all took time basically. Now what we have is the client completing it so there's no double handling of that information which makes it so much more efficient. And similarly, having clients being able to arrive themselves for their appointment, it's, it's very quick. They just come up, they put in their two identifying informations and it pulls up the appointment and it says, Are you here for this appointment? Yes, I am, take a seat. So it's almost like um, part of the reception staff has been um, made electronic. Okay, And so that just allows us to see more people. Um, the reason why we had to put that system in place is because when we implemented Express, it was so successful that we caused a bottleneck at reception. So it became so successful and we doubled our appointments. So one nurse was seeing this many clients and then all of a sudden one nurse is seeing double the amount of clients, which means double the amount of clients are turning up at reception and they couldn't handle it. So innovations come with you know their um, side issues that sometimes you don't think about um, that then you have to think about later on and that was one of them. Um, the Express Clinic and A-Test have literally just increased the capacity of the staff to be able to see this, uh, that amount of clients. And working with our consumers and our partner organisations, like our consumer advocate organisation, ACON, what that's done is brought non-health, New South Wales health staff into the field, which means we've been able to see even more people because we're utilising uh, someone else's staff who are providing the same service that they would be, the patient would be provided with if they came into the, our clinic. So it's a win-win all the way, all, all around basically for us. So you'd say that those innovations that have made this improved efficiency possible, they've, to be successful, they've had to occur at all levels of the organisation, yeah. not just the service delivery. Absolutely. Because there's always knock-on effects. If you increase testing, then you increase the identification of STIs and HIV, which that someone then has to take up. So as an example, when, we, uh, when A-Test um, Oxford Street took off, it was so successful that we were testing so many more men that we were detecting more STI infections and more HIV infections. And then those infections and those people need to go somewhere. And that some come to Sydney Sexual Health Centre, some go to other sexual health services, and some go to GPs. And the capacity in those services then needs to increase to be able to see the extra clients. So that's led to us having to innovate again at Sydney Sexual Health Centre and provide treatment clinics where people can get in quickly. So we've had to reorientate services. And I think that's a big key thing with innovation. Services have to be flexible and they have to be able to re reorientate as needs change and as your innovations have an effect. Um, stagnant services 
can't make those improvements. Well, it's one of the key principles of health promotion mm. to reorient health That's services. Right. That's right. And it's hard for health services to do that. It's hard on a large scale to move these big unwieldy things. Um, and I think the HIV and sexual health sector has been very good at doing that because it's important that services can reorientate so that more innovations as they arise can be implemented. And the needs of consumers are ever-changing and the research in the area is ever-changing as well, so we have to be able to reorientate. That was Sydney Sexual Health Centre's own Vicky Knight. We also spoke to Sean Power from ACON. So I've worked in health for about 20 years. Uh, initially, I started uh, in IT, in health, um, and then about six years ago, I decided that I'd like to do something uh, a little bit different. Um, so I was working at uh, a clinic called Kirkton Road Centre, which is uh, a, a NSP, a needle syringe program, um, but they also obviously target people at risk of bloodborne viruses, um, including drug injectors, um, men who have sex with men, um, and uh, sex workers as well. So uh, the, the, the way I got into this is that it's actually one of the clinics that we use for ATES King's Cross. Uh, and I was part of the team located at KRC when we set it up and we mapped out the procedures uh, of how the clinic will flow and those kinds of things. Um, fell in love with it, thought it was great. I contacted the manager at the time and in a couple of weeks later, I was doing some casual shifts around at the various clinics. So um, it was great. And I've been here full time about four years since. So yeah how I started in this area. So we're talking today about some of the innovations that Sydney Sexual Health Centre has made over the past few years to improve HIV testing rates and improve the HIV testing experience for gay and bisexual men. So ACON has played a really key role in developing these novel projects and ensuring that they engage with gay and bisexual men in the community. What is it about this partnership that you would say has led to successful outcomes? Uh, I, I think there's a range of uh, different things that have made it such a success. I mean, first of all, the customer focus, the client focus. Um, uh, both ACON and Sydney Sexual Health have worked very well together in making that a priority of the service, um, as well as obviously the strategic directions um, that, that we collaborated on um, and the strength of the relationship uh, made the clinic run the way it's run. Uh, I mean, I would, I know personally, many people that work in, work in this area from Sydney Sexual Health and in ACON uh, that have really been heroes in the community, if I can use that, that, that terminology. Because uh, uh, with, without the hard work of, of these people, individually and as a team, um, we have achieved what I would call a world-class service. I mean, um, obviously, uh, A-Test has been successful at targeting people at risk of HIV, which is what the priority has been. Um, and it, it's through community engagement, uh, as well as through uh, working with the community through our peer-based community um, training and education, working within the team. Vicky really emphasised the co-design process that was involved in the creation of A-Test. What does co-design mean to you as a member of the community? So I, I guess the, the co-design comes back to really um, 
teamwork between the two services. Uh, for an example, um, our ATEST Oxford Street, um, which is run in partnership with um, Sydney Sexual Health, is a peer and nurse-led clinic. So obviously there's two perspectives. Uh, there's peers who are community-based uh, people and we have uh, clinical-based people, uh, such as nurses. So it's really the teamwork approach. So um, it, it's, it's, I think it, it, it's a great... Um, relationship between the two because we have uh, the clinical side of city sexual health and we have all the experience and the knowledge that come with people that have been working in the industry for many years and then have a clinical background but also we have uh, peers on the other side that are involved in the community and have been involved in the community for a long time so they're able to express their needs um, as well as uh, their views and contribute um, from that perspective as well so uh, it, at uh, ATEST Oxford Street, uh, we have two, co pre two coordinators that are peer-based roles, uh, as well as uh, we have a, a coordinator um, from Sydney Sexual Health uh, that is, uh, has a clinical background. So it, it's very much about um, setting goals for either side, uh, working together to achieve those goals. And obviously, it, all this stuff involves a high degree of negotiation and discussion um, so we're able to reach those 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 goals together very often they're not they're the same goals um, it's really just about allowing each side to express themselves express their opinion so we can reach those goals as well so as you've touched on there the Acon peer workforce is a really central part of the ATS service um, but some of our listeners might not be really clear on what that means. So what is the role of a peer and how exactly is it different from the clinical roles that our listeners might be more familiar with? Uh, well, look, in a nutshell, um, a peer, many of the peers that we have are gay men. Um, so while a lot of our peers have a high degree of knowledge in, in this particular area, um, at the end of the day, the key principle of this is that we want people, we want our clients to come in and feel comfortable. They want to be able to express what they need to express, tell us the stuff that they need to tell us in order to access the care they need to have. So what we find with our peers is that if clients are talking to people that may have experienced similar situations, may have knowledge in that area, uh, they're more likely to be more honest about some of the stuff that's happened. Uh, and that way we can use peers to um, further educate them, um, but also remove those barriers around testing. So clients can come in and tell us whatever they want. And that might be because something's happened the night before that they're not comfortable telling their doctor about. They're not comfortable going to the emergency about. They can come in, they can tell a guy, so to speak, about what they've done the night before. We can get them access to PEP. It may be ongoing issues such around uh, infrequent condom use. We can start talking talking to them about PrEP, those kinds of things. The other thing is I think um, sometimes um, obviously people's education around HIV is limited based on a range of factors. It could be economic, could be social, cultural, um, those kinds of things. Um, and because of that, there's a lot of fear around HIV as well. They're coming in talking to uh, peers, that have the same kind of fears, um, those peers can educate them the same 
possibly the same way they were educated in, you know, having HIV, this is what it really means. This is what treatment means uh, if they want to access treatment for HIV. Um, so I, I think, in a nutshell, it's about removing, peers are about removing barriers to testing um, through having people with similar experiences. Um, but it's also about providing gateways to further educating clients as well, because again, it comes back to similar experiences. Um, people are much more likely to be more honest about what's been going on, and then we can link them into the proper care, which is what our service is about. So you'd say that that, that shared lived experience is an enabler that facilitates people accessing care? Definitely. Uh, and we've seen, uh, I mean, one of the, I'm sure Vicky would have explained earlier that, you know, we do know that um, gay men and same-sex attracted men or men who have sex with men are less likely to access healthcare, less likely to access treatments. And we've seen since the launch of ATES that testing rates have increased, um, people's knowledge around um, safer sex practices, condom use, undetectable viral load, PrEP, PEP has all increased. So it has done what what the goal of the service was and remove those barriers. So it, it's kind of easy for us to look at the numbers and say, oh, yes, these innovations like rapid testing pop-ups and express clinics are successful because testing rates are up. But I'm also interested in hearing the word on the street about them. As a peer working in a peer-led service with your own community, what do you hear from people who use these services? What do they actually think about them? So overwhelmingly, our feedback's positive. Um, so uh, we do run a consumer feedback um, survey every year um, as part of our uh, QA, quality assurance uh, policy, and it's overwhelmingly positive. I mean, uh, to rattle off stats and this, it's been like this constantly throughout um, um, my time here as well. 100% of clients that we survey will return um, to the service, they say. 100% say they will recommend the service to other people. That's pretty indisputable, 100%. Yeah, 100% each year. Um, the other 48% love the fact that it's free um, uh, as one of their top three reasons for coming. Another 42% said it's non-judgmental. The location is another 40% of people say that's within their top um, three. Um, I mean, it's not without its challenges uh, as well. Uh, the problem with the problem one of the obvious issues with working in a clinic like that is, you know, it is very busy. Um, sometimes our lack of resources uh, isn't always able to meet people's expectations. And the other thing is that people come into our service coming from a whole range of different backgrounds as well as a range of different experiences. They're upset, you know, uh, they're scared, they're worried. I can say I, I deal with very, very few complaints uh, and my job as part of the role here at ACON is to um, obviously manage complaints and follow them up, which uh, we very do, which we do, and we take very seriously, of course. Uh, however, the majority of the feedback that either comes through the front desk, which is where the majority of it comes through here, or directly to any of our peers, is positive. Um, it, it is mostly people saying, this service is great, this service is fantastic. Uh, I had no idea that, you know, uh, that, um, People would be so friendly, so welcoming. So as someone working on the front line, and as you just flagged, um, being the person who deals with consumer feedback, is there anything that you think we could be doing better? How can we improve the service further? I think there's always room for improvement. Um, if I had a magic wand, there would be a long list of stuff I would get done. Um, however, 
Look, uh, I think it's important that we do respond to uh, people's feedback in that way around uh, expectations and what we can meet. Um, and definitely um, clients can offer us suggestions, and they do. And um, we, we do definitely review and uh, implement any um, positive uh, suggestions that we think will improve the service, um, definitely. Um, of course, uh, the other thing worth noting is that you know, as a service, we need to constantly evolve. Uh, and part of that is through community engagement. Uh, we need to stay relevant uh, with our clients. We need to update with the time, so to speak, which we've been successfully able to do at various stages, such as uh, using Oxford Street as part of the EPIC uh, New South Wales study. So that meant that clients that were part of the PrEP study, so they were accessing PrEP through a uh, state government study, um, could access it on site there as well. Um, so I, I think in, in terms of where I would like to see it and where I, we could possibly meet further um, improvements to, uh, the, um, to the services is through offering through vaccinations, um, which we're a bit limited in at the moment, um, as well as treatment services. It would be great. We do see a lot of clients that come in that are either contacts of an STI or um, have symptoms of an STI. Um, we, we obviously make appropriate referrals, but you know, it'd be great to be able to treat people on site as well, offer PEP and PrEP and those kinds of things on site. Um, and I think, uh, and we are currently doing a lot of these things uh, as well, but I think our, our challenge ahead is to, is to um, further target more mar marginalised communities within these communities, such as people from non-English speaking backgrounds, uh, which we're working on uh, developing a uh, Mandarin clinic uh, for some people that might fall into that uh, category, as well as uh, our gender and trans diverse populations as well. Of course, we have services available to these types of people, but sometimes we need a more targeted approach to suit their needs and needs of specific communities as well. So Vicky talked a bit about the evaluation and research that's been conducted on these services. Um, one of the big findings that's come out of evaluations of A-Test is that this service is increasing HIV testing um, rates among men who are at higher risk of infection. Why do you think this is? The peer nurse-led model has allowed us to reduce barriers um, or minimise people's barriers to testing. And that's because they come in and they feel that they're not going to be judged, they feel like they're going to get proper health care. So it removes stuff around stigma, judgment. This kind of service allows people to come through the doors when they need, when they feel like accessing health care or uh, when that opportunity arises. So as well as the education, I think, that we're able to provide in our services, as well, um, the nurses at Sydney Sexual Health are extremely experienced. Uh, they're extremely lovely people too. I've known uh, many of them for many years and they're passionate about what they do, uh, as well as our peers. So I, I think that approach helps us target these types of people um, that are at high risk uh, as well. The 10 minute result from the rapid test is definitely a great way that people um, come through the doors. It, it's another uh, thing that pops up quite a lot in our survey, our yearly surveys as well. People like the fact that they get a result before they leave. Um, and I think people, um, from my experience, um, a test with Sydney sexual, sexual Health has built a strong reputation with the community, a reputation that they're confident in, uh, they trust us, um, and 
they're happy with our service at the end of the day. Do you think this model that ATEST has developed could work in other settings or with other populations? Definitely. Um, I can, from my experience working in this area, sex worker industry is a prime example of, of uh, how this model works. Um, I know um, I haven't worked with them directly. I have worked with clients that have worked with these services that rate them highly. And you only have to look at the stats around sex workers in terms of uh, HIV notifications in Australia. They're, they're considerably low. And I think that is really um, because of the work, the peer-based model in that um, in that area has done as well as uh, the drug injector um, peer education programs that run that are really, really strong as well uh, in, in that sense as well. So definitely it, it, there's no telling where it could um, lead. I keep repeating it. it. It has proven to reduce barriers to testing, reducing barriers to access in healthcare. And for people to have good health outcomes, they need to be able to access healthcare. I'd just like to say, just outside of um, our current relationship with Sydney Sexual Health and our other clinical partners, is we work uh, very closely with other um, uh, community-based organisations. So a, a few examples of this is Positive Life, um, PrEP Access Now, PrEP for Change, um, and obviously ASHAM as well. Um, I think a collaboration of state-based services as well as these community services working together uh, is the key to success in uh, HIV testing, HIV treatment and HIV prevention as well. And I think uh, New South Wales has, if I can say, a world leader in around our responses to HIV over the last 30 years. Um, and I'm very proud to work in this area. Uh, I'm very passionate about it. Uh, Ten years ago, I wouldn't have dreamed that I would have been in this area. Um, but I think our goal um, is to continue to work with our other community partners, as well as state-based organisations uh, and government departments that we do, is a key to access, treatment and prevention of HIV. That was Vicky Knight from Sydney Sexual Health Centre and Sean Power from ACON discussing the A-Test, STI and HIV testing service and other innovative services that have improved testing rates among gay and bisexual men in Sydney. As you've heard, the thing that's made these programs successful has been working with consumers and community organisations from the get-go, making them active participants in the entire process. It's a new way of thinking for a lot of us working in health, and we hope some of our listeners might feel inspired to try out something similar. Thanks for listening. Remember, if you want to hear more from us, share this podcast around your friends and colleagues, and don't forget to subscribe.